This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Passage appointed for the first reading is Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May the mountains yield prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people Give deliverance to the needy and crush the oppressor. May he live while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may righteousness flourish and peace abound until the moon is no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May his foes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all the kings fall down before him, all nations give him service. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all day long. May there be abundance of grain in the land. May it wave on the tops of the mountains. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May all nations be blessed in him. May they pronounce him happy. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May his glory fill the whole earth. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, son of Jesse, are ended. Here endeth the epistle. The Holy Gospel is written in the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 1, beginning at the 26th verse. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favoured one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, 
and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please do be seated. Now, around about the year 1190 AD, the monks of Glastonbury Abbey said that they had made a remarkable discovery and broadcast it across the land. The bones of the legendary King Arthur and his wife, does anyone remember the name of his wife? Guinevere, that's right. Five metres under the earth, the monks said they had uncovered an unmarked tomb with a lead cross bearing an inscription, here lies Arthur, the once and future king. The story was that, gravely wounded in battle, the warrior king Arthur had retreated to the Isle of Avalon, and would, which is not on the northern beaches in the first place, and would return one day to unite his country once again, vanquish its enemies, and lead it into peace and prosperity, just as he had in the good old days of Camelot. The legend of Arthur's return had a powerful hold over the British imagination in the Middle Ages. And one king, Henry VII, even named his first son Arthur in the hope of inspiring the nation of, and of legitimizing his rule. Sadly, that Arthur died age 16 and was replaced by Henry VIII. Now, the Arthurian legend was, if you like, the West Wing of the Middle Ages. It was a fantasy of what life would be like under a perfect leader. These dreams are never far from us, especially when things are tough and we feel anxious and powerless. We long for someone who is both genuinely good and has the power to change things to come and will and to come and will change things. We want to see justice or our version of it. We want our nation to prosper. We want, or at least we want us to prosper. We want to see deliverance from our enemies. Justice, prosperity and salvation together. A vision of a nation truly at peace. Now we're a practical nation here in Australia and not prone to fantasies about kings or presidents. But nevertheless, and increasingly in our more divided times, we often, I find, project our dreams onto our political leaders and onto our political system. 
the deep frustration that so many of us feel with our governments is partly because we share in the same dream that made the Arthurian legend so potent in its time. That one day a leader will arise or a system will come or a party will be in charge who will lead our community into true peace that will have justice as far as we see it, prosperity for ourselves at least and salvation from all that oppresses us. Well, this is the dream of Psalm 72, if you'd like to turn to it in your service outlines. It's a prayer for a king who will bring justice and prosperity and salvation. Now, the first four verses of our psalm today are a, a kind of overture, a preview of what the rest of the psalm is about. And then the rest of the psalm plays the tune, justice, prosperity, salvation or deliverance. In verses 5 and 7 and then in verses 16 to 17, the prayer is that the king will reign for a long time so that he will bring peace and prosperity. May he live while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. His long, stable reign will cause the land to flourish, very much unlike the Australian uh, churn of prime ministers we've had in the last few years. In verse 6, his presence will be like the showers that water the earth. In verse 16 we read, May there be an abundance of grain in the land. May it wave on the tops of the mountains. There's prosperity. And then there's salvation too. Deliverance from the enemies of the people. You can see this in verses 8 to 11 and then it comes back in verses 14 to 15. His powerful reign extends from sea to shining sea. He's so dominant that his enemies bring him tribute and offer him service. The land is safe and secure because this king is not just a king, but has actually become an emperor. Other kings do not mass their armies against him, but rather come in tribute from far off lands, adding to the riches of his nation, bringing their gold. This is more than the salvation of his people. It's actually dominion, an empire that is in fact universal. For as we see in verse 11, all other kings bow before him and all nations serve him. What a vision that is. And he's a king who brings justice and righteousness. From verse 1 we see that God, the prayer is that God's righteousness will be given to him and that he will now judge with justice. Righteousness under this king flourishes like a rainforest. Just as prosperity comes to the people from the mountains, so the hills will give up righteousness. This king is so just that righteousness seems to be a part of the land itself. This prayer for an ideal king who will embody justice and deliver his people and bring them prosperity is a prayer for what the Hebrews called shalom, a prayer for God's peace. This is not just a cessation of war. A pause while everyone rebuilds their armies. This is the fulfillment of all that the Lord had promised to Abraham so long ago. For God's people living in God's land under God's rule, protected by him, secure in his care and flourishing under him. Not the vassal state of anyone else, not crushed by debt or poverty, not hungry for food. But why does the king deserve this? How is this psalm not just a piece of flag-waving, saber-rattling nationalism, 
of the kind that blights modern history? And why should this king be the one to rule over all other kings? Why should this nation's prayers be answered? Doesn't every nation pray this? A quick analysis of everyone's national anthems would see that you, you have incompatible visions, don't you, in those national anthems? You can't have Deutschland overall and Britannia ruling the waves, not at the same time. And that's the difficulty of this psalm. For we know how vexed the question of human power is. We know how the liberation of one people can quickly mean the subjection of another. We know that the prosperity of one nation can mean the impoverishment of another. We know that a realm of freedom and justice and peace is often protected by the bloody and devious acts of that nation's armies. In our own era, the great democracies that proclaim justice and human rights and peace eternal have protected their prosperity and freedom by propping up evil dictatorships all over the world. So why does this king deserve to have this prayed for him? The answer is right at the heart of the psalm. You'll have noticed that almost every verse begins with may, may he, may he, may he. But verse 12 starts differently, doesn't it? It starts with for. There's an explanation here, a cause, a because, a reason. And it's emphatic. Why should we be praying for this king in this way? Because right at the heart of this prayer, this vision, is his deliverance of the poor and the needy. He delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. We just sang this in Hail to the Lord and the Lord's Anointed. This is a king who deserves the tributes of all the other kings because of what he does with his power. He rescues the poor. He defends those who have no defender. Their blood is precious to him, the blood of the innocent. That is, he demands justice from those who exploit and abuse the poor and the needy. They are not disposable to him, but precious. They are not simply a labor force to build his pyramids or his grand architectural schemes. Indeed, the guiding mission of his rule is the deliverance of the poor, oppressed, and needy. And he brings not just the justice of the law court to the poor, but economic and systemic justice to them as well. Who oppresses them? Who exploits and enslaves them? We know too well in our own time that the poor are easy meat for the unscrupulous, the payday loan sharks, and purveyors of personal debt. The gambling industry, with its veneer of glamour and luxury, hiding its dark and evil nasty heart on which our government depends for revenue. The pushers of legal and illegal drugs, who drive around here in their hotted up cars, have you noticed? The culture of rising property prices that are nice for us, but push the poor out to the fringes of our society. Those who traffic women and even children for sex in our city. The businesses that underpay their workers. These things happen daily in our great civilization. And some of those, even with the approval and support of the governments of both kinds that we elect. But not with this king. If you can't be God's king, 
if you don't uphold God's vision of justice, which emphatically includes deliverance of the poor, the defenseless and the needy. And what's more, this king is not simply upholding justice for his poor at the expense of the poor of other nations from which he exacts tribute, but under the rule of this king, as we see in verse 17, all nations will be blessed and will pronounce him happy. Here is an extraordinary picture of a universal rule which brings shalom to every nation. And the justice of this one true king, blessed by God, will extend from sea to sea and beyond. His righteousness will not be confined within one nation's borders. There is nothing parochial about this vision. But just a minute. Who, which king could this be? Who could this be? Even Solomon, to whom this psalm is addressed, who was the high water mark for Israel's kings, who had an empire of a kind, who received tribute from Sheba's queen, not, not the king, but the queen, who was known for his righteous judgments, was also known for his excesses and his failures. And the line of kings that came after him were a shattering disappointment. They exploited the poor and the needy. They gave tribute to Israel's enemies and not the other way around. They were swept away by the tide of history. So what king does this psalm point to? How can we pray this prayer? Well, we can pray it indeed. For Jesus, the son of David, is the king described in this psalm. He is the one true king deserving of the prayers of Psalm 72. He is the one in whom we see God's justice and righteousness displayed. He resists the temptation of power for power's sake, resisting Satan's offer of all the kingdoms of the world, if only he would bow down to Satan, and rules instead as God's king, representing God's care for the poor and the weak and the needy, his heart filled with compassion for them. As we read the Gospels, we see this often. In his death on the cross, he gives deliverance to those who need deliverance. And so at his birth, the tributes of gold and incense and myrrh were brought to him from the nations. Angels heralded him as the prince of peace, of shalom. He was named Jesus, which means God saves. He entered Jerusalem as a king, but on the back of a donkey. He was declared king of the Jews sarcastically by his torturers as they killed him. But it was this king whom even crucifixion could not destroy. Though he was put to death, he was declared the son of God with power by the Holy Spirit, being raised from the dead so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. All nations will be blessed in him. And long does he live. Jesus will reign where'er the sun does his successive ages run. So this prayer is fulfilled in Jesus. But there is more to go. The king has come, but we look for his return. Not like Arthur, whose return was to save one nation, but as the Lord of all things, with everything and everyone under his feet. What are we to do now as we await the return of the king? Well, first of all, we should not transfer our hopes for true peace, this prayer that we are to pray from Psalm 72 onto any other political leader. 
The dream of Arthur was a beautiful mistake, but a mistake that human beings and sadly Christians with them continue to make. We cannot forget the dark side of human power, corruption, exploitation, enslavement, ugly nationalism. We of all people cannot be political idealists, for only Jesus is the ideal king. Which is why Christians have always been amongst those arguing for democracy as the best form of politics. Because it provides a check on human sin, and especially human sin when it's mixed with power. The only politics that ultimately saves us and secures us is Jesus. That is the only politics in which we should hope. The only human being worthy of sitting on this throne is Jesus Christ. For Christians, human government then is not about making any nation great, but about putting a check on human evil. But secondly, Psalm 72 should inform how we vote and pray for our political leaders and our political system. Because it gives us a picture of God's justice. We should pray that God will fill our leaders with justice and give them his righteousness. And what does God's justice look like? What does Psalm 72 tell us? It's justice that defends the cause of the poor and the needy and the oppressed. That is the question that you and I should ask as we vote, as we speak into our political system, first and foremost... We should not vote from self-interest or from some vision that we have, some ideal. But does this system, does this party, does this leader care for the poor, the needy and the oppressed? Will our leaders show compassion to the needy or will they show cruelty? Thirdly, though, our primary citizenship as Christians is in Jesus' kingdom. A Christian, by definition, is that person who declares that Jesus is Lord. So you and I live now, today, as those who seek to do justice and act righteously in just the way that Psalm 72 teaches us. We live out the anticipation of Jesus' final rule. We have been delivered by him. He saves. We have every good thing from his hand. We flourish under his rule. And so we seek to be the agents of his justice and his righteousness, to do the things that our king would have done in the world. It's we who ought to share his heart for the needy and the weak and the poor, the disenfranchised, the widow, the lost, the addicted, the disabled, the refugee, the guilty and ashamed, the victim of abuse. The heart of Jesus beats within his church. And we should also look to build the truly global empire of Jesus. Not a sinister global empire like the empire of some nation or corporation. But the global empire of the one true king who is worthy of our submission. We should be inviting people of every nation and every tongue to bow the knee to him and to accept him as Lord. We don't do this by sending guns and tanks but by sharing the good news that there is indeed a king, one who is truly worthy of our tribute and praise, in whom is found true peace and all the longings of our hearts, Jesus Christ, the humble Lord, the risen king. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.